Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong, are forgiven. You were dead. He breathed into your lungs the breath of eternal life and he resurrected you. It is by grace. Now, now, right now, you confess and believe. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast about what two pastors are learning in the middle of nowhere. My name is Matt Hensley, and I'm the pastor of Mayhill Baptist in Mayhill, New Mexico, and managing editor of Lifeway Pastors, a division of Facts and Trends. And I'm joined by none other than Dr. Kyle Bierman, pastor of First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, New Mexico, director of replanter development for the North American Mission Board. And most of the time, Matt, we talk about uh, how much we don't know. We've kind of built our platform over, over uh, our lack Being of knowledge idiot. on, yeah. yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> our lack of knowledge on many subjects. Uh, but thankfully today, people don't have to hear us. That is, right? that's very true. Very and to true. steal a line from T Swift, you need to calm down, bro. Uh, <laughs> because I'm about to introduce our guest and I, I need you to hold it together. Can, can you do that today? Doubtful. Okay. Well, we're, we're excited to welcome to the show one of our favorite singer-songwriters and author of a brand spanking new book, Adorning the Dark, Andrew Peterson. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Tell us a little about yourself and your family and what you do. Hey, y'all. Uh, good to talk to you guys. And um, I am, tell me, tell you about myself. I am married to Jamie. We're about to have our 25th wedding anniversary. Wow. We have three children who are pretty much grown at this point, uh, Aiden, Asher, and Skye. And uh, we've lived in Nashville for about 22 years. And um, yeah, uh, there you go. I'm trying to think if there's anything else interesting about me. There's not, not very much. I, I, so. I think Kyle is going to probably disagree with that, uh, that assessment, but I think since he is, you know, he's got an Andrew Peterson, behold, uh, the lamb of God, or, or I messed it up. What's it called? That's probably yeah. Okay. I got, I th you, your face made me think I missed it, Kyle, but, uh, no. he's got that tattooed on his shoulder. So I think it's only fair that I turn it over to, to him for the first question. Kyle, go yeah, ahead. I have so many questions. Um, so, so, so first of all, I, like in the last year, Andrew, I learned that you and Randall Goodgame were responsible for a lot of the silly songs that we have come to know and love. So, so first of all, what is your favorite silly song that you wrote? Uh, Probably, if it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. Um, yes, we did. We did three. Uh, there was that one. Then there was one called um, "The Biscuit of Zazamaranda Bow," <laughs> and there's one called "Sneeze If You Need To." And uh, mm. and it was just the, like, what a cr f f hilarious little side job that was. <laughs> you know, we we had put out Randall Goodgame and I. Goodgame is like one of the best songwriters I've ever met, and uh, is just this amazing uh crazy good paul simon like folky kind of songwriter and we went to the same church for a season and i remember we were dropping our kids off at the nursery um every morning uh on sundays and i would see him and one one sunday he was like oh andrew i made up this song last night for my kids and he sang me this kind of goofy song and, uh, and i was like oh that's good and while, while he was singing it i kept thinking i could do better than that <laughs> <laughs> So the next Sunday, I was like, "Oh, Randall, crazy thing! I I, I made up this this goofy song for my kids last night, and it was like game on." So every Sunday, we would come back, 
and try to one up the other guy's goofy song. And after a while, we realized we had enough to make a record. And so we put out this record called Slugs and Bugs and Lullabies, uh, which were part, you know, uh, lullabies, part goofy songs, some like gospel songs. And, uh, and that made its way into the hands of the VeggieTales people, VeggieTales people. And uh, they needed, they were looking for a, a song uh, and they called us and were like, hey, we want to use this song in our episode. And by the way, do you have any silly songs? And we did not, but we said yes. <laughs> and so we had to write, and the, here's the cool thing I think isn't cool is that, well, it's not as simple as writing a silly song. You have to write the skit, right? You have to write the entire okay. thing. Because wow. it's like, if you just have the song, they're kind of like, okay, what do we do with this? So we had to like script out. So, you know, Larry is walking into the room and Bob's got binoculars. And then I had to be Larry and Randall was Bob. And we <laughs> went into a boardroom and had to like act out the entire silly song <laughs> in front of Larry, like Mike, whatever his last name is, Mike, uh, I want to say Wazowski. That's not right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we, we acted it all out and it worked. I couldn't believe it. it was one of the coolest things. They invited us to the premiere and with our kids. Because our kids were young enough to like where we were like the coolest people in the world. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the other side of the coin is that um, VeggieTales actually doesn't pay very well. So it was like, it was like they, they, they bought the song and we were like, well, success. And then it's like, oh, that's great. I guess that was just a fun little side thing for me. <laughs> but well, by ho, the way, um, it's, if it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey has come in extremely helpful at many zoos for okay. us and for our children. So I, thank you for that, for that piece of knowledge. It was actually from a zoo trip with my kids. I, yeah. The lady said that if it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey, it's an ape. And I was like, that's a song. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Well, uh, since, since that didn't pay well, hopefully what we're about to talk about might. Uh, and uh, I'm sure our podcast will be the platform to make that happen. But uh, yes, that's it. Back, back to the book, Adorning the Dark. I've, uh, I've now read about a third of it, and uh, it's hard to put down. And so first, well done. Uh, but, uh, you know, along those lines, what, what made you write the book? Well, I'm, so I've been doing music for... Uh, about 25 years or so I started when I was in college and, and, um, and then about after my third record, I think is when my first book came out, I've written a series of fantasy novels. And, uh, and, and so that like the combination of book writing and songwriting and, and there's a ministry that I was a part of starting called the rabbit room. Like I began to realize that there was, there's a lot of overlap. One of the questions I get whenever I would go to schools to talk about my books is what's the difference between songwriting and book writing. And, uh, and it was a good question. And so I've talked about it enough to where I realized that there are some like real significant differences between the two, but there's also so much overlap. And not only is there overlap in the creative process w between novel writing and book writing, but like I started gardening a few years ago and like learning how to build dry stack walls and realized that like in every creative field, there's some like core principles that, that are, constant they're consistent and so I, I think the book it started out as a, uh, a journal because I was going into the studio to make an album and I had a little bit of writer's block and I, I the juices weren't flowing and I thought why don't I just journal in real time exactly how it fe how terrifying it feels <laughs> to be sitting in a studio and uh, with people waiting on you to like come up with an idea and so I just started journaling every night when I get home about how it felt. And, uh, and then about two years later, I looked back at that journal and thought, 
I wonder if this would be helpful um, if other people knew that the voices that they hear in their head whenever they sit down to write a sermon or uh, a song or a lesson plan or uh, whatever it may be, like those voices that tell you, you're no good at this. This is a waste of time. You're never going to connect all you've, you've used up all your good ideas. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever felt that one, but like, they're all so consistent. It's like the enemy doesn't have a very big imagination. Like we yeah. fall for the same lies again and again. Yeah. So I, I turned it into a book. I was just like, well, I would love to, to write something that would help people feel less alone in the struggle, but also to give them some maybe new ways of thinking about the creative process as a believer. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what was first coming to mind was the sermon process. You know, Kyle and I talk about the, the weekly term paper that's due for pastors. I don't know how you guys do it, man. (laughs) You know, I, I was, when I first thought of that was I was writing a research paper for seminary and I'm like, I I only need, you know, four or 5,000 words here. Why, why am I struggling at this? You know, every week I'm writing that between two, you know, two sermons or whatever. And, and then suddenly now that I'm prepping for sermons or whatever, I'm like, Oh no, how am I going to say this? And and so that creative process is definitely part of yeah. preaching too, because you do want to connect you. You're not showing off. You're not doing anything like that, but you want to find a way to take maybe even a very difficult concept or, you know, a, a difficult theme and singing or, or, you know, we're, we're preaching on slavery and, and, uh, and so forth this Sunday. So how do I take that with the history? We're Southern Baptist with the history of mm. our convention. Yeah. And then, you know, certainly being in the South, uh, area that we're, you know, how, how do I really connect this, uh, faithfully to the text and still, uh, not lay an egg. <laughs> and yeah. So, you know, and so we don't have, I don't think Colin and I have some, have that same fear with the podcast. We know <laughs> that every episode might be an egg unless we've got, you know, Andrew Peterson on with us yeah. or something like that. Absolutely. So we, we set the bar right here so that we know <laughs> that if we just show up and say, welcome to the podcast, we we've done okay. But uh, other than that, every other area, we need that creativity. (laughs) I think so. And my dad's a pastor. Uh, He retired a few years ago, but he preached for like 50 years. And I remember even as a boy kind of wondering where in the world does he get all these ideas? Like how, how is it? And then I noticed after about, you know, I was probably 15 when I I recognized some of the points from his sermon. And I was like, Hey, have you, do you like recycle your sermons? And he was kind of like, Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He had like a little, uh, like index card, you know, five by seven index card, little file thing with his three points and his, the scripture that he was using. And he would kind of like, you know, revamp them and take them and reuse the thing. But that's songwriting too, you know, yeah. like I have stories that I recycle. Like, you know, if I dig up a song from my first record 20 years ago, then I go, Oh yeah, I bet this, this audience hasn't heard that story before. And you're, find, <laughs> you're always finding new ways. The difference is I get to tweak my stories and then, and, uh, and if I lay an egg, I get to move on to the next show. Like, I don't, I'm not in community with all these people who are going to tell me that I laid an egg. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course the fun part of pastoring, you guys, yeah. The the fun part with pastoring is we, we come out of the pulpit thinking we did a terrible job and we did lay an egg. And then the people are like, that's the best sermon ever. And then we go in thinking we just hit a home run and they're like, that was terrible. (laughs) Just like concerts. And there've been times when I've been on the stage, like, bleeding like your heart is like open and you're like i am nailing this and nobody says anything and then the times when you think you do a terrible job it's great and you know i don't know if uh you've experienced this with writing before but the uh 
I know that like when I'm working on a book, my regimen is 2000 words a day. Like I write in the morning. I don't let myself eat lunch until I hit the 2000 word mark. They don't have to be good words. They're just, it's just something. And uh, the, the days when, and then the next day I reread what I wrote yesterday, edit it. And then that gets me going on the next 2000 words. And inevitably the, the days that I feel like I'm just like in a flow and I'm such an amazing writer. The next day I look back at it and I'm like, Oh, it's so florid and <laughs> over the top and I'm trying too hard and I've got to edit all that junk out. And the days where it's very mundane and you're just like, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. That's when it feels like a book. Yeah. yeah. Um, now you, you talked about this a little bit in, in going back to your old journals. Um, but as what have, what's maybe one thing that you've learned about uh, creativity in the Christian life in the last you know, 25 years as, as a singer songwriter that, that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self, um, you know, as, as I think you said on one of your records, uh, you know, when you were in the, the greatest Christian rock band of all time, right. And <laughs> when you were in college and it, so, so what do you, what would you tell your younger self there? Well, I would, um, it's funny. I just talked to a friend of mine. There's a band called the gray Havens, which is it's an awesome band. Uh, Dave Radford is the, the guy, the songwriter. He was at our house uh, yesterday and we were talking about this and, and um, he's kind of at, sort of at the beginning, he's like three records into a career and, and uh, he was talking to somebody about like uh, having what it means to have a long career in music. And um, the guy said, if you are a person who can uh, survive uh, sustained pressure for a long period of time, then you'll have a great music career. <laughs> and I laughed when he, I was kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's part of it, you know, is that, you know, if you're going to do music, not only do you have a lot of you know, the touring and all that stuff is taxing, the travel is taxing, but it's also financially stressful because you, you never know from one month to the next if yeah. you're going to get paid or uh, there's such a massive ebb and flow to the thing. So I think I, I, would, I would tell my younger self to not hope for, not, not, run for the love of running, not because you want to win a medal. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like... Um, I'm trying to think how much I want to say here. I, uh, I've got to be careful. <laughs> um, so, so for example, um, I remember my first record I had, there was a hit on this. Uh, it was in 1999 or 2000 or something. There was a song that got tons of radio play. And I thought, well, this is going to be easy. And, uh, you know, get, get your royalty check in the mail for a few thousand bucks. And you're like, oh, man, this is great. We got diaper money now. And, and then um, it was uh, probably 10 years before I had another song that did well. In the radio. Wow. And so in those intervening 10 years, there were, you know, I got dropped from my label. But then I, you know, got my first book publishing deal. And then it got dropped from my book publishing deal. And, you know, I had another baby. And, like, so much life happens. And the, the one consistent thing during that entire time was that, that God was my only provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not the provider for my family. God has only is, ever been one provider, right? And so uh, realizing that, um, that, um, that, the, that kind of like exercise in futility of looking for the big success um, is just going to wear you down. And I've thought for many years like, how thankful I am that I didn't, uh, I didn't have some big giant hit 
you know, that, that would have, you know, set my family up financially for years because if I had had that, I probably wouldn't have recorded as many records and I probably wouldn't have written the books. And like a lot of that stuff was like God's way of keeping me working and keeping me productive. And I'm so thankful for all that. Yeah. So uh, I think I would have just told my younger self just that Eugene Peterson phrase, a long obedience in the same direction is, mm. is the life you want to live. Yeah. Was that, was that a hit? That was nothing to say. Yeah. Right. Was that, was that the song? Yep. I, um, so uh, a few weeks ago we did an episode on uh, special music and, and Matt and I are both um, um, quasi musicians. So um, yes, in, in special music in high school, our church heard nothing to say at least uh, I think twice from oh, me. Awesome. So that's, <laughs> I love that. Wait, were you, so were you in New Mexico at the time? No, I was in Texas. I was in a, I grew up in a small town in Texas. That's so cool. yeah. Uh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that that was so long ago. I can't. Even, <laughs> I probably wrote that song in like '96. Wow. I think it was like 1996. Yeah. So it was like 23 years ago. Um. Anyway, yeah, it was it was really fun. Like I said, it's like there's nothing like hearing your song on the radio. Yeah. Then yeah. you go, well, now that I'm older, you realize that those things aren't going to change anything, mm. really, about your yeah. life. They're just fun. They're fun little bonuses, and then you get back to work. Um, yeah. I read this. Have you ever read uh, Born Standing Up, the Steve Martin autobiography? No. You guys should read it. It's really fascinating. Like, I've, I've always been a Steve Martin fan, and, and he kind of digs into what it was like as a trying to find his way in the comedian world of comedy. And he was a philosophy major and a, a really smart dude. But he talked about how, you know, as a comedian, you think that if you could just make it onto the Johnny Carson show, then that's gonna that's mm. it you've arrived and he said he did the johnny carson show and he woke up the next morning and his life was exactly the same mm. and he was like nothing changed nobody recognized mm. me i didn't get any more gigs he was like after the third time you play the johnny carson so show somebody might recognize you but they think that they met you at a party last week <laughs> <laughs> so it's like all the you, like if your hope is in these big like flashes of success or i'm just gonna nail this thing it's just a waste of time. It yeah. just is. It's not the work that God's called you to. Yeah. And uh, this is going to be a weird flex for you, but for our listeners, they'll know exactly where I'm going with this. But I, I didn't know that you would be a prophet uh, to write uh, basically um, Kyle's autobiography in song, Nothing to Say. Oh, gosh. Uh, because Kyle, <laughs> Kyle stood before about... I don't know, Goodness thousands gracious. of people in Dallas to, oh, to ask a question of Dr. Russell Moore, and he had nothing to say. <laughs> uh, Wait, why? Actually, he had a lot to say, Not but quite. he just didn't ask his question. <laughs> what happened? What's that? I've got to know what that story is. So, so uh, oh, we're we're in the middle of the SBC annual meeting, and we we would love to get you to the SBC annual <laughs> meeting to play. That would be amazing. But uh, but any anyhow, we were there, and uh, so the different entities make their reports, and uh, and so the ERLC, which sometimes comes under fire from different people in the convention, uh, they're making their report, and Kyle writes up this great moving, heartfelt, uh, I can't say it with a straight face. You can't even say it with a straight face. Uh, <laughs> but he writes up this thing about, you know, I'm so grateful for your prophetic voice and, and yada, yada, you know, and, and just is bloviating, uh, having verbal word. diarrhea up there. <laughs> oh, and finally, Dr. Steve Gaines, who is serving as moderator at this point, he's the president. He steps in and he said, you know, sir, thank you. But if you please have a question, please ask it. And I was like, no questions. And he salutes. <laughs> and just, 
in front of that. Not salute. Yes, you did. I, no, I I've said no. Video. I've got the video. <laughs> so that's that's the story. He had nothing to say when it mattered, but uh, yeah. oh, that's so funny. That's, I had nothing to say, but I sure said a lot. Yeah, <laughs> he said he said a ton. But you've written a, a number of fiction novels. Uh, this is your first nonfiction uh, one. Um, you you talked about the two thousand words a day type thing. Uh, is, is that the same process when you're looking at a non nonfiction or, or what's the writing process like or the journey in a different between the two? Uh, I, you feel a lot more naked with nonfiction. Mm. Like I was far more nervous about this book coming out than about any, probably any other project I've ever done. Wow. Um, just because I, you can't hide behind anything like these words are just, this is you. And so it's been a great relief to talk to people who have resonated with it. Um, it's, it's feels like it's been helpful so far. Um, so I'm, I'm relieved about that, but the, uh, no, it, it, it the hardest part of, of nonfiction was the fact that I had to, there's no obvious story arc. You know what I mean? Like there's no beginning, middle and an end. It's just a bunch of thoughts. And, uh, and it was with the help of Devin, my editor, um, at B and H kind of helped me wrangle them into a, into some kind of order, uh, that, that works for me. But the, uh, the thing that made the light bulb go on, there's an author named Walter Wongren Jr. who I love. Uh, you guys should be reading. He was a pastor for years and wrote fiction and memoirs about his time as an inner city pastor. Uh, just one of America's great writers, I think. And I, I was talking to him and uh, said, hey, I'm, I'm writing my first nonfiction. It's about songwriting and the creative process, uh, but I cannot figure out how to end it. I don't know how to write the last chapter. I don't know how to land the plane. And he was like, well, is there a song that uh, you could kind of demonstrate the writing of the song and the last chapter could be the completion of the song. And that wasn't what I ended up doing, but that was the thing that made the light bulb go on. I went back and reread the book and realized that the main theme of the thing was this longing for home and connection and longing for the new creation and, and uh, realized that I did actually have a song that, that got to the heart of that and was able to use that as the last chapter. So all that to say, it, it's really hard with nonfiction to figure out how to, I, I'm guessing sermons may be the same way is that you just hard to know exactly how to get out of there. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of my good friends, Russ Ramsey, he's a pastor here in town. He gave me this advice that he got in seminary. He said, one of his preaching t professors said, know how you're going to start, know how you're going to end and don't apologize, hmm. which I think is pretty good advice. It's like, you know, no, don't apologize means don't get up there and be like, sorry, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like just be man up and just kind of go and do the thing. Uh, but that's how I plan my concerts. I, I know the first three or four songs and I know the last three or four songs and everything in the middle is up for grabs. Yeah. That's awesome. What 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 do you hope that your readers glean from reading Adorning the Dark? Um, courage. I think if I had to okay. sum it up, it would be that. And I mean, uh, like when I use the word, I want I want them to be encouraged. I mean, I actually want them to find courage. Uh, there, one of the things that I talk about in the book quite a bit is that if if God has given you this creative ability to speak light into the darkness, which I happen to believe that everyone has, uh, then we have an enemy that wants to silence us. We have an enemy that wants us to not do that. Um, and one of the ways that, that uh, he shuts us up is by telling us that um, we don't have anything to say. We have nothing good to offer. There's nothing new to say. 
I don't know. There's just a, a, a lot of voices that seem to be pretty familiar to people. And so what I want to do is, is uh, help expose that lie that, that we don't have anything to say or anything to offer. And so, um, you know, even if it's just a little minute adjustment in the way somebody thinks about their creative work, like a lot of pastors probably don't think of sermon writing as creativity. They usually think, well, I don't write novels or songs and I don't paint. Those are creative people. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's, that's not true. I think we're all inherently creative people and, uh, and thinking of sermon writing or homemaking or, uh, gardening, whatever it may be through the lens of this image, image of godness in us, uh, changes the way we do it. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's like every moment is holy and every moment is a, uh, has the potential to be a kingdom building moment, no matter what it is that you're doing. As we, uh, begin to wrap up, Kyle has a, uh, a less serious question, uh, for you. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we knew how we were going to begin. We knew how we were going to end this, but we thought we would do so with some uh, silliness, I guess. So a less serious question he would like to ask, something that's just weighing down on his heart. Uh, to get <laughs> your answer um, well, yeah, so, so on, uh, on October 25th, um, you, well, there, there were a couple of significant albums that dropped. I believe you and Kanye West both had albums that dropped on, on Friday. Um, so, so my first question is this, to your knowledge, have you ever been listed with Kanye West um, in the same sentence before? Uh, I don't know if I have. No, it's probably, probably <laughs> the first thing. I'm okay with it. Um, and, and then secondly, so, so you did, um, Matt and I were joking but before you came on, and I said, you know, I think Andrew kind of took, the, um, took a, a play out of Disney's playbook here. And instead of releasing new music, you just redid 20-year-old music and, and re-released it. Uh, but, but you did on, on the 25th, you re-released um, Behold the Lamb of God for the 20th year, I believe. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, about that album, about the story behind it, and, um, and, and, and what you hope listeners get out of this, this uh, brand new re-released project. Yeah. Well, the, the, the record if your listeners don't know that it, it was uh, about 20 years ago, me and some friends started doing this yearly Christmas concert where we, uh, I, so I, I wrote a bunch of original Christmas songs um, that were narrative. So, so they tell the story kind of in a song cycle of the, of the incarnation of the coming of Jesus. Only um, at, when I was in Bible college, uh, I remember sitting in an old Testament survey class and uh and, you know, having grown up in the church, I thought I knew the Bible, but I did not somehow ever realize until I was sitting in that Old Testament class that, that Jesus was as much a part of the Old Testament as he was mm. the New Testament, right? And mm. that this, that he's, all things hold together in Christ. So the whole universe, the whole story, like he is the, the, the linchpin, you know? Uh, and so I began to realize that in college and I just, uh, loved him even more for who he was because I, I like all of the nerdy fantasy stuff that I loved when I was a kid, all of the, the things I loved most about music. Like, and I it didn't occur to me until I was 19 or 20 years old that Jesus was the fulfillment of all, all of my longing. Right. And so I wanted to tell that story because I was like, if, if, if I grew up in the church and I didn't realize uh, how significant the old Testament was to the, 
to the coming of Jesus and how, how the whole thing fits together, then surely there are other people who don't, don't realize it. And so um, set out to write a bunch of songs that it starts with Passover and tells the story, you know, from Moses to David to uh, Isaiah to kind of set the stage for the coming of Jesus. And, uh, and it doesn't sound like Bing Crosby. That was the other thing. It's like, the, <laughs> like I wanted it to sound like the music that I played the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, and so we went on the road to, in 2000 was the first year, which means we started at year zero, you know, now it's 19. So this is our 20th year doing it. And we ended up, it took four years before I was dropped from my label <laughs> and, and I was able to record this record. So I recorded it independently and released it independently. And then every year to our great shock, the tour has grown and grown and grown. And, uh, and finally, I guess we were thinking about the 20th anniversary of this thing and going, how do we commemorate it? And I happened to listen to the old version of the records, 15 years old. And, uh, and I was like, oh my goodness, the, the show is so much more alive sounding than this original recording. And there's little tweaks that we've incorporated. So we just decided to get the whole gang back together and, and go into the studio for two crazy days and get new voices. Cause I don't sing all the songs, you know, uh, other people sing some of the songs. It's a very community uh, based record. And so, uh, yeah, so the so really this is the first official release of this album because wow. the first release was an indie record and and as you know if you grew up grow going to these shows like a lot of people I meet at these shows are like married with children and they'll be like <laughs> I've come to this concert since I was five years old wow um, and which is an amazing gift uh, but then I'm like if you didn't grow up with this album most people in America have never heard of this just like they've never heard of me and so I was just like why don't we just get the label behind it and we'll fling it out into the world. Um, and uh, so that's, that's a long answer, but I just, I'm, I, I love this tour so much because um, if you know the rest of my music, I, you know, I, I tend to sing pretty overtly about my life with Jesus and life in general. Um, but uh, I don't often just sing the gospel story. But every December for two, three weeks, me and my friends get back together and we reset the compass and we remember our first love and we go, oh yeah, this is why I do this thing. And we get to like do a concert where from start to finish, the thing is about Christ. Yeah. So, so settle a debate that I've had with my, with my, with our friend, uh, Jonathan Howe is behold the lamb of God, a Christmas album. (laughs) Uh, I think it's an incarnation album. How's that? Okay. So, All right. so, which means that yeah, I would just say, yes, it is a Christmas record. It, it depends on like if you're riding on an airplane and somebody asks you, what do you do for a living? There's like five ways to answer it. Um, <laughs> so, so I would say it depends on who I'm talking to, but okay. um, I think it, it like one of my friends said, it's a, it's an album about the need for and the coming of a savior. Okay. And so that happens to be the Christmas story. <laughs> Sorry about my phone. No, nope, you're uh, good. It's all good. That's probably Jonathan calling you. <laughs> you know, it's it's not no. Tell me I'm wrong or tell me I'm right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so where where can our listeners find uh, find your book? I, I think we can probably take a uh, a guess that we can find it on Lifeway.com and, and Amazon. Will it be in all the Barnes and Nobles and all those good good places? Or be. yeah, I, I on release day I drove to Barnes and Noble and took a picture of it, so I know nice. it is cool. there. Anybody who's written great. a book knows that feeling. It's like you gotta. It's there. It's a cool feeling to see your your book, um, uh, kind of out there in the world, waiting to be picked up by somebody. So, yeah. you see, what we do is we just take our book to 
Barnes and Noble and set it on the shelf and just mess it. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we take a different route, but uh, but we we appreciate the uh, the time you've yes. spent with us, and and uh, this is made possible by the uh, good folks at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, I'm uh, privileged to uh, have graduated from there and and continuing my education there now with a uh, DMN, so that uh, Kyle will have to call me doctor, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and also, so my daughter's nickname for me will actually make sense, DD, <laughs> Dr. Daddy. Uh, but uh, they're already calling me uh, that, so I need to follow through. But Southwestern is a great place to consider theological education, and uh, you can check them out at swibbits.edu. And also our good folks at the Christian Standard uh, Bible that is accurate and uh, faithful. Uh, no, readable. <laughs> readable and accurate. <laughs> uh, and faithful, too. Right. That's yes. That's accurate. Yeah, because God used it, Jesus used it. Yes. Paul used it. John the Baptist used it. Moses, when he wrote the Ten Commandments, yeah, it's <laughs> all, all right. there. Right. There you go. Yes. You're gonna save me. <laughs> Send us out, Kyle. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a wonderful interview. We appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a blessing to us. Pray, pray, we pray it's a blessing to our reader or listeners as well. Um, so uh, until next time. May your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare.